Welcome to Season 3 of the Shoulda Backed It podcast. We've survived a long winter break and we're coming back bigger and better than ever. This season we're going to shake things up and bring some new punting segments, even more tips and interviews with people from across the racing industry. For first time listeners, the Shoulda Backed It podcast takes a look back at the weekend's racing from a punter's perspective. It's a safe place where we reflect on who we shoulda, coulda and woulda backed if we had our time again. Joining me for season three of Shoulda Backed It, as always, is the Herald Sun's leading tipster, fresh off a big Memsy steak day, Chris Venuccio. Welcome, Big V. What's been keeping you busy, mate? It's been a long time. Yeah, hello, Phil. It has been since our last podcast, but nothing's really changed. We're still in lockdown, and the last couple of days we've been without fresh drinking water, so we're going pretty good down here in Melbourne. You're over there, mate. I didn't realise that. Um, we're, we've yeah. still got the sparkling water where I am, out of the tap, but... Yeah, well, that's what happens when you... That's what you get when you live in Brighton. You don't need to worry about the, the tap water. You've just got it <laughs> in your fridge on the bottle. But, yeah, we've, it hit us. So you'd be pretty lucky if, we, if it didn't because it was about 99 suburbs that were affected. So, yeah, I think it's uh, the chances of... Or the odds of being without the, the fresh drinking water were quite short. Well, hopefully it hasn't affected any of those horses you backed on the weekend, mate, because I know there's a few that you wish you uh, wish you hadn't been on. But uh, the big race, well, obviously, was the Memsies with Behemoth taking the, the Group 1 and uh, the, the first Group 1 in Melbourne, actually, for the season. And I know you were a big fan of it leading up and, and were on it. Yeah, I was. And my confidence grew when Arcadia Queen and Sabatiano were were both scratched. And, and that's another story, because I backed, Behemoth at the 420 price, and with the deductions, I had to cop the 340. But you decided to jump on him late in the piece, and you got a better price than I did. Mate, I spent my whole day on uh, Saturday just putting on last minute bets, and Behemoth was one of them. And I did uh, obviously head over to our Twitter handle and saw that you'd put it up as one of your best bets of the day. So I must say, you, you twisted my arm on Behemoth, and I'm glad you did. I, I think I managed to get a better price than you. Yeah, $3.80. But yeah. Um, I, I thought you had done a little bit better than that, but sometimes it's good to be tardy. Well, I thought the SOP might have been a, a lot better than... I think the SOP in the end was 3.30, but a couple of minutes before the race, you could still get 3.50, 3.60, so I was hoping I might have been able to pinch that price. But what frustrated me is I backed it at 4.20 and a lot of other bookies had $4, and after Acadia Queen was scratched and I... I can't remember if that was in the morning um, when she was scratched, but a lot of the the bookies went four dollars into three eighty, or three eighty to three sixty, and then half an hour later they've put the price back out. So you copped a deduction if you backed it earlier, but then half an hour later they just put the price back out. So if you hadn't had backed it, you you would have been fine. If you decided to back it later, you get the the better price and. You know, when we're putting markets up on Wednesday, you're not getting you're not getting any incentive to bet early when you're going to be shafted with deductions. Gee, it hasn't taken you long uh, in season three to get right into a rant about deductions, Big V. I know that's a pet hate of yours, and uh, obviously inflicted on you on the weekend as well. But uh, yep, straight into it, having a go well, at the uh, bookmakers. Yeah, well, you don't know. You think a price is a good price, and four twenty, I was happy with, even with Sabatiano and Arcadia Queen in the race, and. And maybe if Sabatiano had have been in the field still, I think I thought that was the, the main danger to Behemoth. But 
watching the race, when he jumped so well and Craig Williams just had him behind the speed of Be Good Tiamala and Streets at Avalon, I just thought that this race was already over. He just looked so comfortable. And then before the turn, a lot of the horses behind him were off the bit and he's still going at a pretty good tempo. Once the gap opened up for him, or there was plenty of gaps because of the speed they were going, but when he got the split and went for it, it was all over at the 300. It was, and I think what you what's hurt you there, mate, as you say, is the two other favourites in the race were the ones that got scratched, so you were, you were always likely to catch a, yeah. catch a deduction or two as a result of that. But to be honest, outside of Behemoth, I didn't really, nothing else really caught the eye. It was such an eye-catching win, wasn't it? And a really impressive performance by the, the South Australian. Yeah, so it wasn't, I agree, it wasn't a strong group one race, and out of that race, you'd probably just stick with Behemoth, depending on where he goes. I don't think he's going to go to the Maccabi Diva at 16. He might stay at 14 for the Sarupa Clark. I mean, I've got a... There's, there's talk of the Cox Plate for him, but I've got a, a different feeling or a different thought on it. I just think if he has a freshen up, he might be hard to beat in the, the sprint, the VRC sprint over 1,200. He's, he's a good wood. He was unlucky in the good wood. I just think he might be really suited to going back to 12 off a of freshen. Yeah, well, it'll be uh, interesting to see where they go with him. As you say, quite versatile. They can take a sprinter's path or yeah, even, yeah, as you say, go into a, something like a Cox Plate moving forward. So that's a pretty versatile horse if I've ever seen one. But I guess speaking of versatility and probably the most impressive run I've seen over the last few weeks and maybe even since we last spoke was Very Elegant's win. Fantastic return in the Wink Stakes last week. Um 1,400 metres, probably not its preferred distance. A little bit of cut out of the ground, which it does like, but that horse has just gone from strength to strength since the autumn and really one that I think most of the punters will be following closely now after having to make a couple runs, getting headed, collared with about 200 to go and then fighting back and winning. Yeah, this was a, a should have backed it of mine. I did, I did like very elegant, but I was having a really dirty day and I just thought this is a tough race to try and get out in and I, I went for another race that did me no good but watching the replay of Very Elegant it just made me even more sick when she was four wide the trip and then got headed by Star of the Steeze and, and still won when she's um, just upwards with her she, I mean for her to win at 1400 she's being set for a Cox Plate you know maybe a Caulfield Cup Melbourne Cup that was a, a pretty impressive performance and you know she's going to be harder to beat as they step up in distance. Absolutely. And uh, I guess that's a nice little segue. As you mentioned, Very Elegant was probably you should have backed it last week, but I'm, I'm keen to hear who you wish you were on this week. Um, you know, we had a big big meeting at Caul- Caulfield and, a, and a racing in Sydney, some good racing in Adelaide as well. What sort of are you most disappointed about missing? I think maybe El Galeal in race five at Caulfield. When I had Order of the Garda on top. I thought maybe with the, for the connections, maybe they were a bit unlucky that they didn't get the run last week. They had to wait another week to run. I thought with the, the dry conditions, I had Order of the Garda on top ahead of Polly Gray at the Valley on the wet track. I had them the other way around. But Al Galeal had that extra run. I don't think Al Galeal was accepted for that Rooney Valley race last week. So... He was the beneficiary of that race being postponed an extra week and maybe that extra little bit of fitness 
was the difference. But Order of the Garda didn't get beat by much, and I think that's the one to follow from the race. But El Galeo was a good price at $6. Yeah, look, I think, yeah, you're right. Uh, it was definitely the beneficiary in Order of the Garda, and I think even Chabal put in a really nice performance in. I think those three all cro- crossed the line essentially together. So, yeah, I can see why you're disappointed to miss it. But, yeah, I certainly was on, on Order of the Garda too. I thought it was ready to win, but struck uh, one that was just a bit better than it again for the yeah, third time, I guess, since it's come to yeah. Australia. Yeah, and probably one that was just that little bit fitter as well for having that extra run. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, my should have backed it for the weekend was also at Caulfield in race number two, and that was Express Pass. Won really well, actually, a really impressive victory there. I backed uh, Windstorm in it, and I, I know that, you know, it drifted viciously towards the end, but I still thought it might have had the class edge on, on that field, but I, I think I got that a little bit wrong. Certainly first up for Windstorm in, in Melbourne. It was always going to have a tough challenge, I guess, from that outside barrier, Windstorm, and with the way the track was racing, um, I guess, in hindsight, Express Pass was a really obvious choice, and you know, it had come off a good win at Bendigo and handy performances in previous preps uh, at group level. So, yeah, a little bit disappointed to miss that one, but, uh, I, you know, I'll learn from that one in the future. Yeah, that was a, a tough race to to get involved in. I can see why Windstorm was a little bit easy. I mean, I did have it on top, but only because it was a tough race. And it had the top weight, although it might not be. That's not a concern for me, but maybe that's the... An indication of the conditions because it was tough because that was race two it was tough at Caulfield I think with the wind to to run on and wide as well I don't know what your thoughts are on yeah look, oh, look I, think, I thought it played, played pretty well obviously the wind had a factor especially in those shoot races at the 1100 meter meter mark but yeah I thought windstorm I haven't seen the sectionals I would be surprised if they're not the best for the race so he really came home well so um, definitely one to, to keep, you know, keep an eye on. But just in that particular race, probably the, uh, the money was right, you know, jumping off it and onto Express Pass, and I probably didn't quite uh, tick on that. I just looked at the $4, $4.50 I was getting Windstorm and thought, here we go. So, yeah, we, we all do that, get a bit caught up sometimes. Um, speaking of getting caught up, what, uh, what was your should have sacked it for the weekend, mate? I'm going to make a controversial choice. I'm going to go with Ruby Saki oh, mate. in the last race. That's a favourite of ours. I what think, are you doing? We love Ruby Saki. Yeah, I think she was a bit tight in the market and she was – the wide barrier didn't bother me, but I just think she was stepping up in – in oh, not stepping up in grey, but she was running against a, a, a tougher field than what she had in the winter, even though she's got a couple of Group 3 wins during the winter. I don't think the depth – was like it was in this race. And, yeah, I think she was a bit tight in the market. You know, she was going to, first up, she was going to get back in the field. You know, whereas, you know, last prep, she was running against, you know, weaker opposition. So she could afford to get, you know, worse in midfield and and have and her class would get her to run on. I thought she was a short price. And I think there's probably a, a little bit... Um, and, I think maybe an over-the-top reaction on her wins during the winter. There were nice wins, and she was pretty dominant in that grade. But there was talk of her maybe being a contender for an Everest slot. I just I think she's you know far from being an Everest contender, and yeah, I think she's pretty tight in the market on Saturday. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I wasn't overly happy to take the two eighty two ninety on offer with Ruby Saki, but 
yeah, it's certainly not a horse I'm jumping off. I, I was a little bit disappointed it didn't run on. I mean, it's not the first horse to come unstuck uh, in its first run at Caulfield. Uh, and maybe that was the track played a part in it and the fact that it did come out of that wide barrier as well. But I was hoping to see just a little bit more at the end. And I guess that was the most disappointing thing for me with Ruby Saki, rather than the fact it didn't win, but just would have liked to see it run on towards the end. In terms of my should have sacked it, we're uh, going back to the Memsey to Regal Power. Uh, so as we mentioned, I, I did get on Behemoth, but I just thought Regal Power was worth a little go at the odds. I think he could get $16, $17 earlier in the week, but it really wasn't. And you know what? I reckon it was just about the first one beaten in that race. So look, it should still improve off that run. So I'm not giving up on it completely, but look, it really didn't do anything to get me up and about. And in either of its two runs, this prep at, prep at Caulfield, um, what did you think of uh, last year's All-Star Mile winner? Yeah, I was surprised that you were going to get on Regal Power because I don't think he showed anything in his first up run to suggest that you want to give him another go second up. I like to see them, if they have a poor run, at least show something next start. And if they happen to win, you just you just have to cop it. But I didn't see much from his first up run and staying at the 1,400 as well probably wasn't ideal for him. And, yeah, he didn't show anything. He's, he's just a horse that you just got to watch now and just hope that maybe when he steps up in distance, you know, to 16, 1800, he might show something. And I put him in the same boat as Mystic Journey. I think it might be all over for her now. I think she might have pulled up lame after the race, but I think once these mares lose form, you know, it's very hard for them to to recapture it. Yeah, look, I, I do want to see them again, both of those horses. And I was willing to forgive all the runs in behind Savitiano in that first up run. I, you know, the, I think the pace was a bit bit muddling and a bit bit slow. So I was willing to give some of those back markers a second chance. But really disappointed with Re, uh, Regal Power's, I guess, run. It was, as I said, the first one gone. And, you know, this was a horse that ran around and was beating fields like this not too long ago. So, yeah, I'll be sticking away from that now probably put it in the sack file. If it happens to win one, then so be it. But, yeah, a bit disappointed with that effort. Yeah, I don't know what to make of the, the Memsey, if you, if you want to have another quick chat about it again. But, I mean, I don't know what horses you'd follow out of this. You know, maybe Mr Quickie, you know, was first up, uh, ran home strongly. I mean, Peter Moody pulled the right rein with Glenn Fittich, and that's finished third. And I think, But I think the fact for Glenn Fittich... You know, running in the placings. I know it carried 50 and a half, but this is an early season three-year-old. I mean, the horse was a two-year-old only a month ago. I didn't expect him to finish top three. I think it just shows that the quality behind him is, you know, may not be that good. I mean, Cascadian missed the start, was last and ran home strong as well. But I think we know what ceiling Cascadian has. And, you know, it has a habit of missing the start. So... There's not a lot out of this race I'd, I'd want to follow apart from the winner, Behemoth, and maybe Mr Quickie over 1,600. Yeah, look, I, I, to answer your question, Mr Quickie and Cascadian were the best runs in behind, in my opinion. But again, you've just covered that covered that off pretty uh, pretty well, mate. I'll tell you what, one horse that that ran well and we'll be sticking with was Mugatu, or Mugatu, if you're a Will Ferrell fan. Uh in, in Sydney, won really well over 1,900 against a, a reasonable field, but you'll be expecting some big things from that this prep. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they go now. And I uh, read that Chris Lee's 
is thinking about the Newcastle Cup. It's a race he wants to win. And then if he runs there, then he probably goes to the Metrop. But, you know, Kieran McAvoy suggested, you know, freshen up, go to the Epson. He might be a brilliant miler as well. I think this was the, the banker for me. And, you know, it was fascinating watching the the betting on the Wednesday when the first prices came up and, you know, the early price snipers really got into this horse. It opened 350 and that was probably only there for a few minutes. It was 310. I thought that was a a reasonable price because there's a you know, there's a little bit of depth in this race in the the Premier's Cup on Saturday and it just didn't last very long. I think within half an hour it was into two twenty. I was waiting for the corporates to put it up so I could have a go at it. And, you know, if you're there twiddling your thumbs, you missed the price. I was about to put the odds boost on at 280 to 310, and I missed that as I was about to hit the button. So in the end, I had to, in the end, I had to settle for 250 on Mugatu, which ended up being a decent price when it paid $1.90. And I think in the run, as soon as it jumped well and McAvoy just had it, you know, sixth on the rail and some decent speed up ahead, I just thought that this horse was going to win a long way out. Yeah, it never looked like losing. I think, you know, even money was about right when you when you watched the rate and reflection. But yeah, I didn't even didn't note you just said that that it was uh, you could get some decent odds about it earlier in the week. I mean, I've only the best I saw it at was two twenty, which I snapped up um, pretty healthily. But yeah, I didn't realise you could probably get two eighty or even three dollars or more earlier in the week. Yeah, but well, I'm not uh, yeah. I'm not scanning the uh, the corporate bookmakers earlier in the week, mate. <laughs> no, a lot of people like us have jobs that take our attention and there are other people there that are just in front of their computers pressing refresh and just taking the prices it just it was just i actually had the day off that day so i was actually able to to see what was happening and i was just i was just waiting for the corpse to finally put a price up but and on the tab you're just losing it you know it was 310 into 290 280 270 260 and it finally stopped at 210 and that i think that's the the problem now with having these early markets is a price comes up like Mugatu I thought was 350 310 was a fairly reasonable price up against the opposition it was coming up against but then you get the early snipers that come on it and it gets back into the rock bottom price that you might be happy to take on a Saturday but three days four days out from the race it is a pretty tight price that you have to take because you know all this it's not a lot of money that's going on it but that's the horse that gets targeted early with a you know a few couple of hundred dollar bets and the tab just winds it in drastically it's i think we're discussing it previously it's really hard to know sometimes what a horse is going to do in the market i mean if we knew that we'd all be millionaires but I find myself getting on horses at a, a price that I think is really good and then they'll they'll drift and then alternatively I'll jump uh, or not jump on a horse and they'll, they'll come in come in sharply. So it's really hard to judge. If we were good at judging that, I guess, yeah, as I said, we'll all, we'll all be doing very well. But uh, one horse that did judge a run very well and ridden by James McDonald was uh, Anders in the, uh, in the three-year-old race there. And I think this was one of the more exciting races of the day, even though there were only, you know, six horses in it. It was just good to have a look and see which of these horses was going to come back, you know, bigger and better than it was in its two-year-old campaign. And I know there's a couple horses in here that we'd been following in the podcast, like Mama Reagan 
and others. Um, what did you make of the race? Obviously, an extremely uh, impressive effort by Anders. Yeah, it was a breathtaking win, and yeah, just kept on going. And and this is one horse that has really developed from its two-year-old season to the three-year-old season. In April, it actually finished one and a half lengths behind Peltzer, and here it's beaten Peltzer by nearly three and a half lengths. So you can see the turnaround is about five lengths back from April. So it had... Anders had about four starts before finally breaking his maiden and then one again in May, had the break and has just come back as a three-year-old and has just blitzed the opposition in both races. It just, I reckon, it just shows that there was a horse that was, you know, just needed to develop, mature, you know, maybe get it right mentally and we're just seeing a, a really outstanding product. So, um, yeah, I mean, we really did. And that, that, you know, a horse to jump like that, do the really quick sectionals up front and then still still be able to kick at the end was as good as you'll see. But I guess moving forward, there were a couple of decent runs in behind it. And I know Mama Reagan will be looking for more distance. Is that is that one you'll be following as well? Yeah, I think uh, Mama Reagan, that was a big performance. I mean, 1,100 was never going to win, particularly when you can consider the target might be the Caulfield Guineas. I think it'll go to the Golden Rose and then come to Melbourne for the Caulfield Guineas. So I thought Glenn Boss rode the horse, you know, as expected. You know, it was last in the run, not going to push the horse, not going to gut the horse in a really fast race over 1,100. And so that's... I'll be interested to see the sectionals for him. And I reckon Peltzer... I'd like to see Peltzer run in a race that doesn't contain Anders or Farnham or Rothfire because I think that was a really good performance and that might be a horse we can make a few dollars off if it avoids the really the, the top liners. Yeah, and I yeah, couldn't agree more. I don't think there was too many disappointing runs in behind Anders. It was just yeah. clearly, a, clearly a superior animal on the day and just, um, yeah, you know, left them in its wake. It's just whether Anders can do that in a race like the Everest. I mean, the temptation would be to mm. give the horse a slot, but it's going to be up against Nature Strip, who's <laughs> you know, a seasoned horse now. You know, they're similar in their styles. And then maybe Farnham might be there as well. So it's not going to have the control of the race over 1,200 as it did here over 1,100. You know, maybe a race like the Moya would be perfect for him, you know, at the Valley, 1,000 metres, and, you know, maybe he can control the speed. But the Everest is going to be a completely different story over yeah. 1,200. Oh, look, and I wouldn't be comparing what it did yesterday with a horse that could win the Everest. Having said that, you know, it'll, it will improve over its next few starts, and I guess they can re- reassess. But just purely off that run, you wouldn't be uh, you wouldn't be start talking Everest, in my opinion. But that's just, a, I guess, a decision for them moving forward. I think there'll be plenty of good races it can win without without jumping into that one. So you've mentioned that one, obviously, um, Anders, Mama Reagan, Peltzer. Order of the Garter in Caulfield, you mentioned, was a, was a good run and one to follow. Uh, any other horses that you think are worth following based on uh, the first two sort of Group 1 days we've had this season? Yeah, I think going back to the last race, one that I want to see again is Madame Rouge. Had the wide barrier, was last in the run, ran home really strongly. I think in that race as well, 
you know, all credit to the winner because the winners' sectionals and Madame Rouge were pretty much similar. So I reckon Madame Rouge, I want to see again, perfect jewel, no knock on that win as well. And I think that's um, pretty much about it. I think the winner of race number, if I get it here, race number four, I Am Superman, might be a nice horse as well, maybe for the Sarupa Clark. Disappointed, Big V. You missed the horse that I reckon is the one to follow out of it. And I know it's a winner, so it's easy to say it. But how big was Diamond Effort? I thought that was a big win yesterday. That's its fifth on the trot. Uh, keeps stepping up. Every time they set it a new challenge, it keeps keeps delivering. It had bled at the end of its last prep, but um, often they come back after that. Uh, come back a bit better after that. Beat a really good field yesterday, I thought, in the Group One and. What I love about her is her versatility. She, you know, she seems she seems bulletproof in that sense. Doesn't seem to matter whether she, you know, where she draws or where she settles, and she can handle different going. So I reckon we got a steal at seven dollars yesterday. I think it's, but I do think it's the kind of horse we'll probably get seven dollars about next start as well. So look, I thought Diamond Effort was huge yesterday at Caulfield in the Group Three. Um, which race was that one? Race six. So uh, what did you think of the run? Obviously not in your horses to follow, but still a good effort, no doubt. Yeah, I want to watch this race again a couple of times because there was, a, I think there was a, a few good runs we can take out of it because there was only a length between the first six. Um, so I just want to see it again. You know, Liar wasn't bad. I think Garner, um, you know, did well as well. So, yeah, it's, uh, there's no knock on diamond effort because they're a horse like that, you know, they just find a way to win. Clinton McDonald's been putting it in the right races to give to maximise its chances and... And be interesting to see where they go to next. Well, I think they've got high hopes for it this prep. I think that you'll be seeing it in Group Ones. I think they're willing to have a throw at the stumps. At, you know, now that it's won the Group Three race, and I think it'll be very competitive in, in one of those races, depending on what they do move forward with. Because, uh, yeah, as I said, it's just so versatile. Yeah, it's pretty much of a bulletproof horse. Maybe in the autumn, like the Oakley Plate, it's one that at the track and distance. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll, I'll look forward to seeing where they place it because I will be backing it no matter where it is. I'm just very impressed with that horse. Another horse that was impressive, and you might have missed this one because it was on a a Wednesday at Sandown. It's not quite your sweet spot, Big V, but in a benchmark 70 called Cadre Noir. So it looks a very good horse. It beat a benchmark 70 field, as I said, by about five lengths, but it was, I guess, the way it did it, which was particularly impressive. Look, look, it'll need to show more against beer and better fields, but I guess it's one just to keep an eye on. I'd, it, um, it's nominated for the Caulfield and Melbourne Cups. I'm not sure it's quite at that level, but just the way it won was reminded you of a good horse, and I think Cadre Noir is um, one just to keep an eye on if you do see it in a, in a stakes race at some point. I did notice, though, that it bled from one nostril, so I'll just have to check whether that had any implications on it moving forward. I should have. I think I should have made this horse my best bet at Sandown because I did have it on top. I think I had my best bet in race one, Westwind, which just got beat. But I, yeah, I did have Cadre the Nor on top because it, it, had, it was a nice second behind Skyman, the start before, and Skyman might be, you know, a decent stayer as well. I think I've just mangled the uh, pronunciation of that horse. I think you've hit it a lot better than I did, Big V, which is. A little bit disappointing, but yeah, Cardrade Noir. I'll uh, have to speak to our, um, our French-speaking friends. 
Yeah, I think we've got a few French-speaking listeners that <laughs> pick us up on our pronunciation. Why are there so, so many French-named horses? It's, it's 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 killing us, Big V. Every time people pick us up on it. Well, well this is this is a an import. Yeah, no, it makes more so sense then. Probably makes a bit more sense. Yeah, I don't think it's come from France, though, but I, I no, could no. be wrong. Europe. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we'll. we'll well, I'm sure we'll get a few notes about the pronunciation there, but I look forward to that from our listeners. Speaking of listeners, we actually got a listener question uh, that came through on, on the Twitter um, uh, a few days ago when we sort of announced that the Should Have Backed It podcast was going to re-emerge. Um, and it's from Aaron from Bendigo. So, uh, look, I'm, I'm going to send this one out to you, Big V, because I know you've got some pretty strong opinions about this particular subject, and we have discussed this issue ourselves quite recently. Anyway, Aaron says, G'day, boys. Did you guys see the bloke who cashed out his four-leg multi recently, costing himself around $85,000? You'll remember, Big V, I think this is a bloke that cashed out after two legs and picked up $323 and then, you know, cost himself $85,000 because the other two legs ended up saluting. Anyway, the question from Aaron is, what are your thoughts on cashing out and are there any times that you think it's the right move? Well, no, I don't think you should cash out because I think this is just another chance for the for the bookmakers just to, to rip punters off. It's just, you know, disgraceful what they do because as you calculate, okay, the the cash out was three hundred dollars. And if he had owned, if he had have had a multi just on the first two horses in his four legged multi, he would have won $968. So he's being cheated $600. That's absurd, isn't it? How can they it's only just... give him a third payout on the two legs? Well, well, how is it? How is something like that legal to begin with? I mean, it's just the punters are the most important stakeholder in racing. If you don't have punters, you don't have racing. And I know that you know trainers and jockeys and horses are the lifeblood of the sport, but or the or the soul of the sport, but the punters are what keeps the sport going, and they just get treated like mugs. And the, the racing bodies just don't do anything to protect them. And you know, this is an example of it. I mean, when you have something like a cash out, and it's eighty five thousand dollars, instead of the TAB offering you three hundred dollars, and this guy shouldn't have done it to begin with. He's just stupid to take the cash out. The TAB should say, all right. The possible cash out is $85,000. Instead of offering this guy $300, let's offer him, you know, maybe $1,000 or $2,000 or maybe $5,000 because the potential payout is $85,000. let us seduce this guy to actually take the cash out. $300, I'm surprised the guy took it. Oh, look, I think... I think that's what was so surprising about this, that they actually took the $300. You know, we, we don't want to part, part, pass judgment on anyone for what they were doing. They might have needed the cash, etc. But I guess if you've committed to the multi, my view is that you've committed to the multi. So there'd have to be some pretty extenuating circumstances for you to want to jump off, either a really good cash out, as you said, something that actually was more value than, than what the, the bets were, um, or, you know, some really significant change to the conditions or something that really made you want to change the bet. But once you've committed to it, $40, yeah. I, I, I say let it ride. So yeah. um, to answer Aaron, I'd say there's only very, very, very rare circumstances where I'd ever consider cashing out. I'm pretty much hashtag never cash out. 
particularly when you're getting such a bad return, as you say. I think that's a nice little thought you've just put there, Big V. Why aren't we getting offers that are actually of benefit to the punter, given that you do have that riding on the last two and you, the TAB can still protect itself as a result of yeah. that? Yeah, at least give the punter a return where, okay, you might give the punter a return. He might decide to you know, reinvest some of that some of those winnings into the other two legs of his multi and try and win more money. But at least the TAB should try and do something that might protect itself from having to pay out $85,000 and the punter can still come away with it. maybe a, a decent win, but, you know, the TAB will come out a lot better in a lot better position. It, it reminds me of that show that used to be on Deal or No Deal. <laughs> it's funny you, you say that. I was just you, thinking you make, that. Make, yeah, make the give make the offer something that the the punter has to think about and is tempted to take. Fun fact, Big V, I actually was on Deal or No Deal, how holding one of the yeah. cases. Yeah. Do you, um, uh, as a contestant, or in the audience? Well, the... Oh, no, I was holding one of the cases, so I mean, theoretically a contestant, but not the one out the front, just the one. You know how they open it? You say, oh, I think I've got a thousand dollars or whatever. I didn't guess the right amount, which would have netted me. A nice little sum, but uh, yeah, um, nice, nice, fun day, mate. But anyway, um, you, you're talking about the bookmakers screwing over the punters. Led me to think of an incident that happened today. So we're talking on the Sunday after the big Saturday meeting, and there was a meeting today at Sale where a horse that won very comfortably in race six. You might need to remind me its name, Big V. Exelman. Exelman. Uh, so a horse in race six called Exelman uh, won quite comfortably, a really pr- impressive performance in a, in a benchmark 64. However, the jockey Michael Walker was found to have weighed in one kilo light, having dropped his lead bag following weighing out um, initially and not carrying it on the horse, which meant that the horse was disqualified and, and, and you know, punters who were on this horse and it, I think it started about $2.50. It was very heavily backed and heavily favoured in the race. All lost their dough. I mean, how shocking is that? I feel it's, it's just unacceptable. Yeah, no, I see a few tweets going around that punters have lost their money before the horses jumped out of the barrier. And if the horse had have, you know, played up in the barriers and was scratched by the vet, they would have got a reprieve. But that shouldn't happen. I think... The fairest thing is to just make it a, a scratching and just and just return the money. And if that means that the the winner and the place getters have to have a deduction, then so be it. I think that's just fairer because you don't want punters backing a horse, the horse winning, but in the end they they never had a run for their money because they're always going to be disqualified. It's just it's an injustice. And it's something that never gets looked at. I mean, if this was the AFL or the NRL, they would act on it quickly, but racing doesn't. I mean, this is not the first time it happens, but racing will do nothing about it and it's going to happen again and again and again. I must say it's much rarer than it used to be because they do weigh out the jockeys before they go out onto the course. But, yeah, it's a really hard pill to swallow if you have had a go on that horse because... I mean, it could have carried 10 more kilos and, and won. I mean, it, it won very convincingly today. And as you say, they, they were never a chance. From the moment 
the jockey got on the horse, there was not one point that they, they had an opportunity to actually win that race. So, you know, unlike, you know, if a horse doesn't jump out of the barrier or something, you know, where it's a, you know, not, not anyone's error really. Um, in this circumstance, it's something that could easily have been solved. And Well, the, yeah, the silly thing is the only way punters would have got their money back is if the horse was scratched at the barrier by the vet. And that's, that's just not right. Yeah, I think um, it looks like Walker's already been fined $2,000 for it, but I, I noticed Damien Lane, who was at the same meeting, got 10, 10 meetings for for uh, using the whip too many times. So I know that there's, uh, you know, they, they look at guilty pleas and, you know, past past history and things like that when making these sanctions, but that doesn't seem to add up, does it? Yeah, well, the whip, whip rule is another issue that's just a joke after what happened in Adelaide the other week. I mean... We, we've had a dis- we discussed it off air, you know, at the time, and and you know if you're not going to uphold a whip protest on that, where the horse was flogged twenty times in the last hundred, you're never going to pay a whip protest. It's just ridiculous. No, I don't think they'll ever pay a whip protest. I think they'll deal with that outside of the the race itself because it's just too hard to to, to know what impact that has on the horse and its performance. But it just gives, it's just a bad look. It's, just, it's a bad look, and you, that just gives jockeys a licence to just whack their horse as many times as they want, win the race. You know, if it's the Melbourne Cup, you know, I think Michael Walker was the, the, the same. I think he was penalised for breaching the whip rule, and I think he said, well, it's the Melbourne Cup, you know, I'll just, I'll, I'm there to win it. It just gives the jockeys a licence to just use the whip as much as they want because they know they're not going to lose the race. It's just not a good look. Mate, I've, uh, you know, the, the, winter's, the winter's been cold. We've been in lockdown. A lot of ranting going on between us at the moment. So I want to lighten up things a little bit, talk about some things that are a little bit more positive and introduce our listeners to a new segment. So we talked about this last season that we were going to start looking at sports betting and and different sports rather than as a little add-on to the racing talk that we do have. And both of us are into our AFL, just watched Collingwood get over Carlton, which was a a nice way to spend my Sunday afternoon. And I know your boys up in Brisbane are are doing very well at the moment with all the favours of having the whole competition there. So um, I wanted to introduce a new segment called Mug's Guide to Sports Betting. And the thing I wanted to look at and talk about with you, Big V, was the, I guess, the same-game multi. So that's becoming huge, the same-game multi. Um, I don't think it's been allowed for too long, but I know our punters club, for example, had a same-game multi in every one of the Festival of Footy games recently, and they really have taken over. I think they're very popular. So I wanted to talk about what you think of same-game multis and maybe pass on a few tips to our to our listeners who, who perhaps haven't dabbled in a same-game multi before. Well, before I get on to that, I'll just point out that when the Brisbane Lions won their three premierships, they didn't get any favours back then with home ground advantage and playing at the MCG when they finished on top of the ladder still or second on the ladder. Uh, so, they played Geelong or something in a prelim uh, after uh, when it should have been their home game from memory. Yeah, so you so are right no there. Favors, no favours back then. So no favours there. They'll take it this year. Uh, so same game multis. I'm actually not a, a fan of the same game multi. I think. Oh, there goes the segment. I reckon. There goes. <laughs> I don't think you get the um, the odds that you should. I don't think they. Um, I think someone sent us a, a text 
saying um, as an example that if you go A times B, it should be this price. But the same game multi, you're getting a reduced price. But anyway, um, that's just a, another issue. But yeah, I just I'm just happy to go with the just the head to head win. But with the same game multi, I suppose just try and keep it simple. We did a few for our punters club. I just try to go a head to head result or maybe a a line result. You know, someone to kick a goal. Well, I'm not going to go crazy and get someone to pick three goals, four goals, but maybe someone to kick one or two goals. And the possessions. And I think this year it's been a lot tougher with the the disposal tallies because, you know, actually 20 is actually tougher to get with the smaller games. I did the same game multi the other week where I needed side bottom to get 20 disposals plus and he got... I think about 18 against Sydney, whereas he's been averaging about maybe 22, 23 around that. So it can be a bit nerve-wracking, the the same game multis, but I just try to keep it simple. And then maybe the over and unders. I think now teams are scoring a lot more easily now in a lot more games. And I think the, the overscore, I think will get up more often than not, but that's just a, a guess. That's just my, well, my guess. Yeah, the agencies are pretty smart when they set that over-unders and all the lines. But, look, um, when it comes to AFL, I've had a bit of a think, and you've raised some of the points there, Big V, but I think there's four key points, or maybe five key points, um, when it comes to doing a same-game multi, which I sort of try to, to live by. The first one is what you said, keep it simple. I, I don't think you need any more than three or four legs um, to, to get some good odds in the same game multi. You don't want to be expecting, you know, seven or eight different players to be able to kick two or three goals or, you know, have to make too many line bets or points bets. So I do think three or four legs is plenty, which leads me into my next point, which is to don't bet, don't use your bet boost because most agencies are giving you a bet return if you do miss one leg but get the other leg. So the bet boost um, nullifies that and, and means you can't get the bonus bet. So... My second point is don't bet boost. And third point, probably similar to my first, but it's don't go for too much. So you'll often be, you know, uh, see a a player that might be, you know, seven or eight dollars to kick three or four goals, and you'll go, oh, look, that looks amazing. They'll kick four goals. But it's actually a lot harder to do than it might sound, Big V, particularly, as you said, in a shortened game. So picking a player to have 25, 30 touches is, is fraught with danger at the moment. So... Don't go for too much is my third rule. My fourth rule is what you said, look for value between betting agency. It's amazing the disparity you get between agencies. You might be able to turn a $3 multi into a 5 or $6 multi just by using a different bookmaker. So yeah. if you are running multiple apps, then I suggest shopping around a little bit um, while you still can and they're not all merging. And the final one is do your research. So just because someone like... Marcus Bontempelli is a superstar. doesn't mean he'll be the one that gets the most touches for the Bulldogs. He'll certainly be the most effective, but he won't be the one getting the most touches. So for players in the Bulldogs, I'd look at people like Lockie Hunter or Jack McRae as they tend to get the most touches. So just because a player is a superstar doesn't mean they're the ones getting all the touches. So there, I guess, my five rules around the uh, same-game multis or how I approach them. And if you stick within those confines, I think you'll do pretty well. Yeah, you probably should, but I've... Had a bit of bad luck with the same game multis I've placed. I did one in the West Coast Carlton game a couple of weeks ago, and that was when 
50 mils of rain was predicted. So <laughs> I went with I went with uh, West Coast to the halftime full-time double for West Coast, uh, under 120 points, and Darling to kick a goal. So Darling ended up kicking a goal, but he got a dubious 50-metre penalty. <laughs> He's good at that. West Coast... West Coast trailed by about eight points at half time and won by ten goals. So that was that knocked me out. And the rain and there was not a drop of rain at all during the game. Yeah, where was this fifty mils? Not a single drop. And then I think they scored I think about hundred and twenty one, hundred and twenty two points all up that day as well. So I missed that by a couple of points. It's just that was that's just Frustration sometimes when you. Yeah, you your, your biggest problem there is you're not a meteorologist, mate. Apart from that, you were looking quite no. good. I don't think that can be blamed on the same game multi. <laughs> well, when 50 mils is predicted on the day, you expect some of that to happen across a two and a half hour game. 50 mils is a is a lot of rain. Uh, that would have put the 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 field underwater. So I'm surprised that they didn't get any uh, rain during the day. But yeah, no, it's a good point too. Uh, I guess I, I'm a bit wary of the over-unders. I think it's a tough one. It really dependent on what the coach's game plans are. And there's some teams that are, you know, traditionally very defensive. I think Sydney's an example and even Collingwood at the moment. But, you know, with most, most other teams, they'll adapt to whoever they're playing. And picking an over-under can be quite a challenge because it just depends on what the coaches want to do and how their tactics are for that game. I could be wrong, but I've, I felt watching the AFL earlier in the season or when they return from the break, that they were scoring a lot more in the first quarter and then it dropped. Mm-hmm. I'm finding now that they're not scoring as much in the first quarter, but then it really starts to open up in the second half. I think the reason for that, Big V, is the the condensed nature of the fixture at the moment. So if you're coming off a four- or five-day break, which many teams are, they're getting tired. So the games are opening up, whereas in the start of the season, you know, with the shortened games, teams were not getting tired. In fact, we're still fresh. I mean, I remember a number of players commenting after the game that they still felt fresh. But now with the condensed fixture, I think that you're finding that there's a lot of tired players out there and games are opening up. So that is, that's helping scoring. And I think that's, as you said earlier, helping the overscore more than the underscore in terms of uh, which, which way you'd want to lean on that. That was good to uh, open the segment on the on the sports betting there, Big V. And um, look, we'll we'll come back with a few uh, other little uh, AFL and uh, and other sport related, um, I guess, segments in the future. But uh, thank you for everyone for listening to the first episode of our third season of the Shooter Backed It podcast. It's great to be back. It's been a tough few months in Melbourne, so hopefully, uh, you know, listening to us uh, for a little while as might help you out on the weekend when you're having a punt in either the races or maybe even a same-game multi in the footy as well. Um, As you all know, we've got a uh, Twitter handle, at ShouldHaveBackedIt, so please follow us and subscribe and and leave a message and ask us a question. We're happy to answer any questions here on the podcast or even even on the handle itself. And stay tuned for Big V's best bets of the day on a Saturday morning too. You've been going very well, mate. You were two from two last week, so I'm expecting some big things from you this year. Yes, thank you, Phil. I'm looking. F- I'm actually looking forward to the, the Valley this Saturday. It's not one of my favourite tracks, but I think there's a there might be a a couple of nice ones that I've been following. Hopefully, will will be running. Well, hopefully, it's got good drainage because last time they were there, it was underwater. So uh, hopefully, they've <laughs> been able to fix all that up. <laughs> you're, and... you're all all on 
Jungle Edge last week. Mate, oh, don't get me started on that. Warrior. We could we could do a whole podcast on uh, on that one because uh, yeah, Jungle Edge was an absolute moral, wasn't it? Beaten, uh, not beaten in the end because the race never started. But uh, I guess safety of the participants is number one, and we'll uh, we'll wait again for another downpour, maybe over in WA where they get fifty mils. I hear. Yeah, oh, yeah, and not a, and not a drop. <laughs> uh, sounds like Jungle Edge is worst nightmare. But anyway, good to chat, Big V. Good to see you again, and uh, to everyone else, thanks for listening, and good luck on the punt.